all you crazy cats and cool kids. We are coming at you live from the podcast Purgatory. It's your host, Wolfman Carruthers. Ow! This hurts my throat. <coughs> Karen, what you doing? Um, well, I saw a horror movie today, and I thought I would talk about it. Oh, cool, because I saw a horror movie today, too, and I thought we'd talk about it. What hor- You don't watch horror movies? No, we just watched a scary movie. I thought we'd talk about it. What scary movie did you watch? The Witches. That's not the one I'm talking about. I wanted to talk about uh, The Mortuary Tales. What's that? It's a anthology movie where uh, a girl goes into a, um, a mortuary and the mortician uh, tells her five spooky stories, uh, all of which have like some sort of comeuppance, kind of a unique twist on like Tales from the Crypt or something or Creep Show or something like that. Um, and, uh, I thought it was kind of well done. It wasn't like an amazing movie or anything like that, but I thought it was actually for what it was. It was actually really cool. There were some, uh, there was a couple like fun stories. There's one that was really short at the beginning. Um, and then, uh, the, the next one was like better to be safe than sorry. And it was about a guy who has unprotected sex and gets pregnant. Oh, that was the part that I saw in the trailer that made me stop and say, hey, let's watch this. Yeah, yeah. You you would not have been able to make it through that. It, it got kind of gruesome at a couple points. Um, no more gruesome than childbirth. No, but you survive the childbirth. Not every woman. Not every woman. Hashtag not every woman. Should but. we uh, change the picture on the podcast episode then? Should we just talk no, about No, I'm just, bit? if you have a Shutter account or know someone with a Shutter account, like apparently I do, uh, I recommend it. So I I thought it was I'm I'm a sucker for anthology stories or anthology movies and stuff like that. That's okay. I get the appeal. Like I like reading anthology books. Yeah. I like it when it's a bunch of small little bit stories all parceled together. Yeah, Bruce. I I think we've talked about this before, but Bruce Coville did a couple of collections like, um, awesome aliens and like you know, mysterious monsters and stuff like that. Like they're kids stories, but um, I think one of, a couple of them had, um, who's the guy that the big sci-fi guy, big sci-fi writer, Ray Bradbury. There are a couple of his stories. Yeah. I have his uh, hundred book collection up there on the bookshelf for Ray Bradbury. Oh yeah. It has a really kind of cool thing where it has R A Y in a different That's, color. Yeah. It's correct because Ray's name is in there twice in Bradbury. Yeah. yeah. There's no I in team, but there's a Ray in Bradbury. Yeah, exactly. And, and I wish. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's just nuts. It's 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 okay. No, no, no. no it's, you let me talk about this other movie. I'm gonna let you talk about that. You brought up anthologies. Yeah. Uh, I just had a book published in a new anthology. Of course, we want to bring that up. Of course, we want to talk about how you are an accomplished writer in in our podcast where we talk about movies, TV shows, and oh yeah, books. And books. <laughs> yeah, talk about it. I uh, want to hear. <laughs> Tell me everything. Uh, the anthology is actually enough called fake news. Don't Hashtag worry. Fake news. Don't worry. There's nothing like that in it. Rather, it's the idea that people are so interested in conspiracy theories that we took a, a bunch of authors, all wrote different stories about different conspiracy theories that if they were true, how would they affect the world? 
uh, somehow we all ended up writing about aliens, even though there are millions of kinds of conspiracy theories There's out so there. many other conspiracy theories there out were, there, like lizard people. and um, There's one about that. There's oh. one about Sasquatch. There's uh, one about... And, and, you know, I didn't even plan on doing it either. I wrote my story, and then at the end realized, oh, it's about aliens. <laughs> uh, what is oh, yeah. Aliens. Yeah. Honestly, my story was more about the assert assumption that the government might take mental health seriously and do something about it in case of an alien abduction. I know, far-fetched as that may seem. <laughs> it's so far-fetched. Um, no, that's really cool. I'm glad that you brought that up because that is a really um, neat thing to kind of brag about, especially in this podcast where it's our podcast and we talk about really whatever we want. I really do like that we have a platform where we can brag about whatever we want. <laughs> I am not published anywhere. Um, <laughs> I was in a uh, doc, a quasi-documentary uh, short recently, but I was in it for like 10 seconds, I think. You were? Yeah, the Renaissance Man that um, Draft and Carson Hunt did. We're going to put all these links up in there because Renaissance Man was awesome. I got to see a sneak preview screening of that. It's really well done. Yeah, it is really well done. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, I was in it for like 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it still counts. C claim to fame. You know, I'm not like my our, our friend Ashley Lauren who, you know, is in a cat food commercial <laughs> as of late or either cat water or cat food. No, wait, no, wait, because... I'm not kidding. No, no, I'm, I know you're not kidding, because you said cat food, and I'm like, okay, I, I get it. And then you said cat water, but I'm afraid you're going to have to stop and walk me back. There's like, specific water you can get for your cats? No, like a water fountain for your cats, like what we have for our cats. Oh, I was really thinking that it was, like, bottled water that you buy for your cats that has specific things inside that only cats will like, because cats are really picky. I yeah, thought there's that maybe a cream that... water, there's a fish water, yeah, I thought there was there's a, a chicken new... water. Is there a new market for cat water? That... Mm, yeah, I'm getting some fun tastes coming up. What if up. cat water wasn't for cats to drink, but a way to wash your cats without them getting mad because it's water? Maybe it's like dehydrated water. Dry shampoo cat water that you rub into their fur and clean them. I want you to take a quick step back and realize what you just said, dehydrated water. Yeah. Isn't that, that's, a, that's a thing. It's not a... De you literally are taking the moisture out of moisture. You know what? Yeah, you're right. I, as I said it, Again, that second time, it did all become very, very clear. <laughs> and you know what else else? What? <laughs> You're Elizabeth. You're Aaron. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea. I guess we have been doing a lot this quarantine. I really didn't think we were doing that much, but I guess we were. Uh, happy Halloween, by the way, Aaron. <laughs> happy Halloween, Elizabeth. <laughs> our, our one Halloween episode this year. I hope you're happy. Uh, I had so many plans. I'm going to be dressed up as Wonder Woman, but Aaron, I really want you to tell everyone about your cool idea for your Halloween costume. Well, for those of you who um, won't be able to see me uh, whenever this episode oh, comes out. we got to post a picture. Uh, sure. We'll post a picture. Um, I am going to be a victim of 2020. Uh, I'm going to have sweatpants on and, um, oh, what are they called? Slippers. And then a nice shirt and a... Um, blazer so that way i can be in zoom meetings and business up top business party down below absolutely so i have great news i told my brothers about that costume and they're all doing it for halloween they thought it was the coolest thing ever i don't think they thought it was the coolest thing ever i think it's a costume without being a costume you know i think a lot of people enjoy the 
the lackluster nature of some costumes. Better to make up a costume with the things you have than to go out and buy a plastic cheap knockoff that's just going to show up in a landfill later next year. Hey, 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 hey. I used to work for the places that sold that. You did, and aren't you glad they're kind of going the way of the dinosaur? Yeah, absolutely, because they're terrible costumes. And I love dressing up. (laughs) Instead of Beetlejuice, it's Juice Demon. (laughs) Or Magic Wand Boy with glasses. (laughs) Or uh, Wonderful Woman. Wonderful Woman. (laughs) A wonderful gal. Now, I'm not going to lie. gal pals. I did get a couple parts of my Wonder Woman costume from a Halloween store, but I'm not tossing them out year after year. I'm just improving upon them no and you and i are are cosplayers uh very amateur cosplayers but cosplayers nonetheless i don't think we're that amateur i wore a wig we don't i think i'm paid we don't enter into contests oh is that okay so you have to be paid to be i I mean professional the thing that you do professionals get paid in some way shape or form but we don't enter in contests. You and I never feel oh, comfortable. Oh, no, because you don't want to spend six hours waiting in a line with a bunch of people. That, too. Also, I don't know if any of my stuff would ever win. Now, better to be the big fish in the small pond. Go enter costume contests at, like, your local bookstore or whatever and just, like, trounce all of yes, the kids like show Yes, like the up. local comic book shop, Nirvana. <laughs> or uh, the only game left in town for big stores, uh, Barnes & Noble, because it's the only one that's still is around for some reason don't go to amazon if you want to buy a book go to the website bookstore they or you know go to our sponsor well yes if you want a physical book you can go to bookstore if you want a audio book you can go to audible and we'll tell you more about that at the halftime yeah today however oh you want to do the plug party real quick sure thank you for reminding me you can find us on facebook at married to the idea you can email us at married to the idea reviews at gmail.com and you can visit our website, marriagetheidea.weebly.com. Uh, all of the episodes are uploaded onto our website with links, so you can just click and go. It'll take you to our SoundCloud page. We are also on iTunes. And if you want to be a Patreon, <laughs> sorry, if you want to be a patron on Patreon, if you want to throw a some Patreon. a Patreon, if you want to throw some cash our way because you like what we're doing and you want us to continue doing more of it, you can go to patreon.com slash married to the idea and check out our tiers there. And we would love it if you were because guess what's coming up next time? That's right. Hundredth episode. Hundredth episode. Aaron, before we get into the witches today. Did you think when we first started doing this podcast that we would eventually end up doing over a hundred episodes? I am surprised we've made it this far. Uh, I felt like we've wanted to give up a few times before now, and we just kind of was like, ah, well, I want to talk about this now. And sure enough. It's hard to give up when the whole premise of your podcast is talking to your significant other about movies, which is a thing you already do it seems <laughs> uh, silly. excessively it seems silly just not to have a microphone present also yeah um you know we've done a lot you know kind of looking back at our first few episodes we had no idea what we we're doing Absolutely none. we still have no idea what we're Absolutely doing not. um and you know we we had one mic that was recording us both at the same time and it was this little crappy thing that I got for free. It was an omnidirectional mic, and I remember that. And we sat in our office, and we our, sat together to speak into the same microphone. It was it was adorable to say the least. It was 
The most adorable kind of janky. Yeah, and then I think we upgraded very soon after that. We got two mics, but then... I think with the third time that our cheeks touched, we were probably over it. <laughs> I, I still remember... Was it that recording? Or was it was recording right after where we, like, could hear fireworks in the background of the recording. I remember that, yeah. Gosh, it has been a while. Well, we're going to go into more reminiscence on our actual 100th episode. Today, we're talking about the witches. Not the 1990s witches. No, we've already talked about that, and you'll be able to listen to that uh, later on. (laughs) Yeah, if you want to go back and check that out. That was from, I think? 1990. You got it right. I know. I was saying our episode was from a year or two ago, the last time we did a Halloween extravaganza. I don't think we watched it last year. I think it was It was the year before that. Yeah. So it was 2018. Exactly. 2018. Uh, and 2018. 2018. I'm not sure, Aaron. Have we discussed before on the podcast how nostalgia runs in cycles? Because I feel that way often, that every 20 or 30 years, I think especially 30 years, you feel reminiscent for the 30 years beforehand. All the girls are putting stickers on their water bottles. I expect Pogs to come back any day now. And some, here is some, a something with Pogs is ha- going to happen. Please, I, I, please let it happen. I miss Pogs. Just like make a cricket for Pogs. Make a home printing machine for there's Pogs. There's going to be some sort of app. There's going to be an app uh, where you can like. Boo! I want shoe boxes full of pieces of cardboard. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, we saw with the last few years, we've seen, you know, a resurgence of the 80s stuff, you know, bright neon colors, synthesized music, you know, a bunch of the movies from the 80s that were being remade. And here we are with the witches being remade. I think this is the, wa- I think this is the first uh, wave of the 90s nostalgia. I mean, we're already, oh, speaking of 90s nostalgia, Ghost Rider, uh, W-R-I-T-E-R, uh, is getting remade on Apple TV Plus. Told you, yeah. Hocus Pocus. They're in talks for uh, the sequel, mm-hmm. Space Jam. They've been talking about that for ages. Yeah, I'll, I'll believe that one when I see it. I saw a kid wearing a Toon Squad jersey today at school, and I smiled <laughs> a little. Well, they have made a logo, and the logo's not bad. My um, graphic designer husband would know about this. I'd trust his opinion. Who's he? <laughs> uh, so the witches has come out, and like so many children's movies. They decided to kick it to streaming because 2020 is a nightmarish hellscape and time is irrelevant. A black hole where happiness goes to die. So why not distract your kids for 90 minutes so you can have just a semblance of sanity with (laughs) another children's movie? Um, Aaron. Um, Liz. Correct me if I'm wrong. Watching the 2020 Witches, I got the sense that this was both too childish and too mature for its intended audience. Rap with me on this. What do you think? Too childish and too mature. Like how Stephen King over-explains and under-explains at the same time. Yes, it was like that. Mm. Where we have a character see something, hear something, and then say it out loud to themselves just to make sure that we got it. And then... And then an actually a fairly well-shot reveal of a car accident. Yeah. Or teeth that split up to your ears and arms that break and fold. Like, the body horror in this one is real. And it is it is really good. As good as the 1990 version. The 90 version was more practical effects, which we always enjoy. 
but then think... they, there's some of them that are dated, like with the clo- or the far away shots of the mice. Yeah, exactly. But then you get a little bit of the CGI stuff, and I think Zemeckis really does his movies tend to be about breaking the ceiling on on technological advancement. That's kind of what he does. He's got Who Framed Roger Rabbit under his belt. He has the Oh, the Christmas one with the train, the Polar Express, uh, the new, the most recent Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey. He seems really interested in being, he's kind of like a James Cameron in that sense. Like, I'm not going to do something unless I can push the bounds of the technology that I'm building in. Yeah, he also did um, uh, Welcome to Marwen, which honestly, what, am I incorrect? No, no, he did. Yeah. He directed that. Um, He direct, uh, uh, in that one, the CGI in that is a little bit more groundbreaking uh, because it's not meant to look realistic, but what it is supposed to do is it's supposed to look like a realistic doll. And I think it does accomplish that from the stuff that I've seen. Um, I wish technology would play that way. Like, I think that there was a, there was a point where we realized we could make really convincing landscapes. And then George Lucas came in and did everything a landscape with no human interaction and then the same thing with this toy story was really good because animating toys with early digital animation technology looked best things that were made of plastic and didn't have realistic features welcome to marwin does its job well because it's making something that couldn't exist um i also find cgi is really good at removing things so with the witches the titular witches all have missing things they have missing toes and they even gave them missing fingers so they're more like bat claws again it's it's the little things it's little things like we're going to change it so the witches have just three gnarled fingers but then we're not going to show how their gloves work at all which all show them having five fingers until uh, there was one or two points when anna hathaway would do something and her fingers looked elongated in like the the middle two weren't working they were like flopping around so it's almost like the illusion had had been broken at that point or she didn't have enough energy to she was focusing on other things than trying to keep this illusion alive um but yeah he's directed some very uh, i gotta agree with you uh groundbreaking visual stuff so like um you know, I'm going to kind of work my way backwards a little bit. Polar Express, you know, you know, the digital actors and whatever and whatnot. Castaway, you know, that was a technical marvel, too. Um, uh, Forrest Gump, there was some CGI. There was actually some groundbreaking CGI with when they brought in, like, John Lennon and... Uh, oh, recreating all the famous figures from history. Exactly. Um, Death, became, Death Becomes Her uh, had some, some fun special effects in there, too. But then uh, Back to the Future Part 2 and 3... Um, but more so, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, still to this day, you know, 32 years later, people are A, still talking about it, and B, still marveling at the animation and the, the CGI behind it. And so in this movie, we pair Robert Zemeckis with Guillermo del Toro, who is the man of my nightmares. <laughs> he just won't leave me alone. I can't even look at stills from Pan's Labyrinth without having nightmares. Uh, so... I was thinking with this sort of background behind it, Guillermo del Toro has been working on a stop-motion animation of the witch's idea for a while, and he was brought on board to work on this. And then you have this A-plus cast with Anne Hathaway and Stanley Tucci and Octavia Spencer. 
can you imagine this movie in stop motion with like from the likes of like Leica? Yeah, I was thinking Coraline. Like this would have been terrifying. Which I think was like his first movie. Mm-hmm. So all of these really good ingredients are put together. Why does it overall feel like less than the sum of its parts? That's that's the tough thing. Um, it's definitely a movie worth watching. But it's not going to become one of those Halloween staples. I mean, you can even say the same thing about the original one, the 1991. It's a good movie, but it has a lot of flaws. Um, the, ca- the, ca- the main kid isn't very interesting. Um, you know, besides the one scene, the witches don't really do that much. Um, you know, Angelica Houston does steal the show, but none of the other witches, except for one, have like any kind of personality. In this one, even less. Only Anne Hathaway really has a personality. Yeah, she kind of steals the show with this one. I was getting real Kate Blanchett from the fourth Indiana Jones vibes off of her, just hamming it up. I, I would even put it a little bit further. I felt a lot of Meryl Streep in uh, Devil Wears Prada in this. Oh, I like that too. Which is really funny because yeah. Anne Hathaway. Um, but there's there's some good points about this movie, the 2020 version. Um there is some, like how you just mentioned, there is some really good CGI with how her mouth opens and the her arms kind of like breaking and expanding. It kind of does bum me out because neither of those things are from the original. And I'm not a purist. If the movie is better than the book, I, I will admit that if it does a different job with different storytelling. Yeah. But the fact that they took the things like having no toes and these rubbed, rashy oh, wigs. And yeah, the, the one toe thing was but even yeah so weird. the grand high witch didn't have that either i get they were trying to make her more into like this bird creature but it's weird that they couldn't just take roll dolls descriptions of these women and bring that to the screen as terrifying enough it's like no we also have to give them those giant mouths from those monsters from miss peregrine's home for peculiar children where they open up to the ear and we have to i mean that's just a that's kind of a it's actually become a trope now. Is these like giant gaping mouths? Yeah, it's it's unnerving to be sure, but it's a it feels like being unable to find the horror in an already pretty dark book. I mean, you have these this group of witches who are turning children into mice, amongst doing other things, and. That alone isn't scary. I mean, it's scary, but isn't it scary enough? Yeah. Again, that seems like the same thing. Like, who is this movie for? The old one, looking back on it, it's from a time where you could scare the crap out of children. It's Yeah, the 80s PG. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. And this one is I mean, terrifying, but in a way old. that I don't think kids... Well, I think any kid who watched this that would be under 10 would be terrified. It, is it a... Well... It's a similar kind of terrified, but still a different kind of terrified because Angelica Houston kind of gave off this aura of being creepy. I mean, that's why she was able to do, you know, Morticia Adams so well. I mean, she's a great actress. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but this particular movie, she has an air about her that it, like you're interested yet very cautious to be around her. And the the creature effects and the makeup and the special effects for this i mean it's done by jim henson who can make creepy ass things just look at the skulky or skulkies from uh the dark crystal it's 
they're they're gross looking i I don't know they're they're like rotten vultures and and you can see some of that same inspiration with the the character design for angelica houston but it looks way more natural i mean this one doesn't look like bad like the they didn't do a good job with the cgi it looks like slick polished like yes in a way that you sometimes you know straight up body horror it benefits from being that rough real looking sort of thing um yeah and uh and this and then like there's a part where angelica houston uh turns into a rat and it's very creepy because it's it's a creature design and they did a really good job with it and and, like i just i look at the uh, special effects for the 1991 which admittedly has a lot of problems but there's a it's a different set of problems and a different set of not rewards, but accomplishments. And where this one, it has some accomplishments, but I don't. I wouldn't say it has as many. Um, like the CGI with the the mouse that you see at a couple points. It. I mean, it, you can obviously tell it's CGI. Right. Um. I think really, where the nineteen ninety version, it had some okay characters and some okay performances from people and you know they were trying but it just didn't come across that well um this one you have two really just powerhouse performances from Anne Hathaway and Octavia Spencer mm-hmm. yeah it really feels like these two women have just a great chemistry together they even give them more of a backstory the idea that they've run into each other before uh yeah connect them on a deeper level yeah, I suppose so. Um, it does feel a little weird to introduce this sickness and then never address it again, where in the book it was, she just was old and got ill, and they sent her to the seaside to get some fresh air. Are you saying that for the 2020 version or the 1990 version? In the original book, she got sick just because she was old, and so they sent her to the seaside to get some air and enjoy a nice holiday. In the 1990 version, it goes the same way. In the 2020 version... She says she coughs because a witch is nearby, and so they get out of town to just go find, stay somewhere nice and safe. And, oh, wouldn't you know the witches show up there, too? Because, and they also left beca- in the 2020 version because he had seen a witch, and he, she goes, once a witch is seen, you should never let you go. Never. Time to, time and then, to go. <laughs> and she's like, oh, my God, we got to go. Yeah, time to leave. Uh, so let's talk about some of these disparate parts from just the 2020 version. Cause it introduces a lot of things that I think are good ideas, but it never really capitalizes on things like how the, the grandmother's a voodoo priestess. Yeah. So like the whole thing with roll tall, he even writes it in his book. He's like, you know, I'm not saying anything against women, but all witches are women. There are men who do magic and those are ghouls, but a ghoul is not as terrifying as a witch. Uh, actually, the book got banned in several places of uh, parts of England because of its uh, anti-women views, because <laughs> it, had a, it had a poor showing for what women were. Uh, again, you know, we can debate that. We can debate Roald Dahl's anti-Semitism. We can debate a lot of stuff. Yeah, but I want to say Roald Dahl wasn't the greatest of people. Yeah, we could we could perhaps on another day talk about death of the author and if we can enjoy the things made by bad people but yeah i wonder who you're thinking about in your mind so right many. now there are so many oh, i'm thinking it's about really one specifically ne- i and, I'm, and i know there's more but never I'm, meet your heroes yeah um so well, sometimes so we take this story that was 
just all British, all British all the way, and say... You mean to tell me the guy that wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is British? I know. I'm shocked, Ed. So we... Cabbage soup, really? Turn this all into the era of the civil rights movement in the South and have our two main heroes be black people. And at first, I'm like, you know what? This is cool because it really does deem them as outsiders, as people who would be looked at differently and they're the only ones who can see the witches for what they are. It's like an extra level of coding. But as the movie progresses, they really just like shy away from actually showing that. We see them like, you know, get out of the fancy place and them saying, excuse me, man, can I help you? Yes, I'm staying here. Oh, well, young man, aren't you lucky? Very rarely do people like you get to experience a grand hotel like this. I'm like, oh, they're going to keep this going. It's going to keep this uncomfortable tension going for a while. But then it never shows up again. Every other time they have an interaction, the staff is polite. Every white person they talk to is just like, oh, okay, hi, what's up? Yeah, it's- you kind of expect the them to say, like, can I help you? Like, it's it gets... They code it even that witches target poor children that would never be seen as missing which is again not a thing from the original and it it's, but it's, it's a, a weird good idea it's a great idea but then they have their own loophole with why did they look at the the kid who likes to eat Bruno. yeah who clearly is from a very wealthy well-to-do family yeah yeah that just doesn't seem seems uh ill-planned yeah, there's this the, the witches are uh <laughs> it's it's interesting when the witches all meet up in the grand ballroom and the witch is like I developed uh this mouse maker formula and you kind of wonder with all the history all the centuries they've been living on this planet rubbing out children one by one you think they would have at some point got on this plan sooner they would have figured out like yeah. something like an atomic bomb that only targets kids like you think they would have done something and like what is this their plan sooner? to target ki- i mean like targeting a, a a a one kid every so often like to me that makes more sense even though that's as bad as it can be um targeting all the children in the world you won't have anyone else to target after a while that's all they want like that's the thing they're not Draining kids for their youth or using them for their magic. It's just they hate kids, which is honestly very terrifying. It's more terrifying than, oh, they've already fed. They won't come after me. It's not a vampire or (laughs) it's it's more like a zombie. It's an existential threat that will not stop until it has achieved the goal that it desires. And and that's, I mean, that's a really interesting point. Um, Not that you need my validation, but I would say it's pretty... Let's get from a child's standpoint. So for me, I just wish that once you have this this layout, The Witches is, well, one of my favorite books from Roald Dahl's biography. It is not as well built up in its world building as books like the BFG, which is my favorite, or Matilda, which was my first, where you have this world that exists very really, and then these children with unique or strange abilities or ways of looking at the world are shown in. Or like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where essentially the world is the same, maybe a little bit more madcap, and you know, and then a very unique situation that it that takes place in this wondrous, you know, factory. Yeah, we never see the witch's world. We never see where they hang out. We never see anything beyond the facade that they present to the world around them. And it's just 
places. And so this was a good place to insert an idea like maybe they do only target poor children. Maybe there's a reason why they target children. We could have built on a couple of things here, but I feel like they scattered a few ideas and then like cast them aside. Like I thought because she was a voodoo priestess, she was going to figure out how to turn the mice back into kids. And, you know, spoiler alert, (laughs) spoiler alert. That's not what happens in the book, but it is what happens in the remake. In the 1990 remake, and so often in this 2020 remake... Adaptation. In this 2020 adaptation... No, you had it backwards. Oh, my goodness. In the 2020 movie, I don't feel like they're adapting the book. I feel like they're adapting the 1990 movie. I feel like they're adapting the 1990 1990 movie, but trying to pull a little bit more elements or some elements from the book. So, like, how the mice don't turn back... uh, how um you know i don't i've never read the book um but i i know that there are some discrepancies from the 1990 movie to the to sorry from the book to the 1990 movie um and the big one being that he turns back into a kid at the end um i don't believe there was a good witch no yeah see so that's it's another thing that they took out um there was uh, his pet mouse was not also another girl. Yeah, that one that was that was a weird change. Not unnecessary, just weird. Um like I liked there so with the 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 race bending, if you will, um I thought it worked. Um it, it sometimes you can tell sometimes it's a little forced. This it felt natural for this one mm-hmm. or they were able to work it in naturally. Like how you were saying with how they had these ideas about like you know civil rights and everything that was just on the horizon and and how you know at one point they're like oh okay and you know they're very accepting they're in the south why are they that accepting you know they shouldn't be the Stephen King bully of you know racist or sorry excuse me racist um but they're still it's very downplayed in it for this children's movie so no problem with diversity showing up in my films, but I do wonder when they take something that was from another time period, another place, and they purposely set it in a very disruptive and whirlwind time of history of civil rights and make the characters African-American say, okay, go. I feel like you have an obligation at that point to address some of the things that would come up because otherwise it feels like you're ignoring the things that happened. Racism never existed. It was never a problem. People just gave you side eye. It wasn't an actual permeating thing. But I also feel bad for them in the same way that I felt bad for Wrinkle in Time. You have this really talented director. You have these really good kids. You have a really good story. And they're like, you know what? Let's just make the main girl black because why not and i don't mind that but i do know that studios will look at the failures of wrinkle in time the way it didn't perform well at the box office and, say, and not learn the correct lesson which is perhaps we didn't listen to our source material and we didn't give the thing enough humanity yeah but, you have a really oh, talented we, can't, we can't put black girls in charge of our movies yeah like the whole thing with women superheroes Yes. Yeah. Yep. We back when we started with episode one, like one woman had to be everything for everybody. It and it be- was luckily, but yeah. not all of them are going to be like that. Um, but the big thing with this one is in, or not even this one, but wrinkle in time and Artemis Fowl and stuff like that. You have really talented directors who either aren't getting to explore as much, or they're just direct for directors for hire because both of these movies, Wrinkle in Time and Artemis Fowl, 
weren't good adaptations of their source material. One was at least a decent movie. The other one was utter fucking garbage. Um, but the the big thing is is that with this, I felt like this one, Robert Zemeckis, still may have been like a director for hire, if you will, but he was able to take a little bit more risks or was able to explore those risks a little bit more, like changing it to, you know, um, civil rights time and, you know, having the main characters be black and, you know, having the, the mouse Daisy be, you know, a girl voiced by Kristen Chenoweth, you know, and these are, they, they're not huge changes, but they're enough that if you do actually explore this, it's an interesting thing to really make you stand out from your predecessor. And that's where remakes are not doing well. Is that they're trying to be shot for shot remakes of their original source material, aka the movie, not saying, okay, here's 1990 and the and the story. Here's the original book. We want to create this with better technology, better writing and acting, and you know even a little bit of better special effects. And they did end up telling a little bit of a different story than the 1990, so it helps it stand it apart. And it's not like, you know, The Lion King or Beauty and the Beast where it's the goddamn same story and it and the effects aren't really that much better. And whereas this one, you're going from live action to live action. So it, it, it does boggle the mind just a little bit when you have these people who are doing these things like Artemis Fowl and Wrinkle in Time and they are taking risks and ultimately failing. Um. Or you have these other movies like Beauty and the Beast, Lion King that are essentially shot for shot remakes, but live action with air quotes. And they, again, well, they're not failing. They're failing a lot less than the other movies. So whereas this well, one. Well, we have to ask about what failure means. I, and that's, that's the problem is studios are not going to be looking at whether the movie was good or not. They're going to be looking at the kind of return and the kind of buzz. And, you know, The Witches is getting a decent buzz. But if you look at the reviews right now, I, I looked on IMDb uh, right after we watched this. And it was like the first 20 of them were one stars. This is not a one star movie, guys. I hate that we live in an age where it's either perfection or the worst trash imaginable. It's it's average. It's, it's just an a- that's average. exactly what it is. It's average. And if I it's may, less average than its predecessor, but it's still average. If I may posit something, we did that we go to the uh, nope, sponsor dome. Nope. If I may posit something that we spoke a couple of episodes ago that animation is not a genre because animation is just a type of storytelling technique, and you can tell any kind of story with it. Young adult fantasy is a genre. And every movie that we have hated falls into the tropes of young adult fantasy drama. Most often, remakes of books that were just good books by good authors like Artemis Fowl or Percy Jackson or any number of series where they were just telling a story that it turned out kids and adults both enjoyed because they weren't writing to hit a niche demographic or target market. So when I look at these movies that we don't end up liking, I don't think The Witches was made for kids. It was not a young adult fantasy But it's not an adult fantasy either. Agreed. So this thing wasn't made as part of a focus group. It was, 
this story is bonkers. Let's put it on the big screen. And I'm not saying that's the perfect way to tell a story because every story should have an ideal audience that you were writing for. That's how books are sold and that's how movies are sold. But I feel like there is a definite checklist of things you have to tick off to have a young adult fantasy book movie. And I would say like the Percy Jacksons, the um, Divergence, those check those boxes off a lot easier than I, you know, I would posit Wrinkle in Time or this one. Artemis Fowl tried to check those boxes off, but it failed. But it, that's because it failed everywhere. That one is a one-star one movie, in my opinion. But I'm also very butthurt, so I will admit that in an instant. Um, but what I think we should do is to go to the uh, Sponsor Dome, because I had a thought, and it died of loneliness. All right, we'll keep thinking on that as we go to the Sponsor Dome. Uh, as always, the prevailing challenger is Audible. Aaron, why don't you tell them how they can get a free trial and 30-day membership with Audible? I mean, you've almost had my entire copy, so do you just want to go? Uh, no, just because I would be afraid of of Big Daddy Audible coming down from the internet to yell at me for not saying things proper. Okay, well, today's show is brought to you by Audible. Big Daddy Audible, apparently. Audible is offering our is listeners mommy a... Audible? It's Mommy Audible. It's Mommy Audible. Mommy Audible. Uh, brought to you by Big Mommy Audible. Uh, mommy Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Watch us lose our sponsorship just from this alone. Go to audibletrial.com slash married to the idea and unmat browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash married to the idea to get started today. And remember that's T-O, not the number two. Why Big Mama Audible? Big Mommy Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. Uh, what's our book recommendation today, hon? Well, um, as if you couldn't predict it, we are recommending, of course, The Witches by Roald Dahl. Um, I used to always call him Ronald Dahl until someone showed me what his name actually was. Aww. Yeah. Like Ronald McDonald Dahl? <laughs> like Ronald McDonald Dahl. Um, so Roald Dahl. And then I thought it was Roland. So I thought it was <laughs> Ronald, then Roland, and then it's Rolled. Rolled. Rolled Dahl, uh, The Witches. Uh, narrated by Miranda Richardson. It's about four hours, and, four and a half hours. And the synopsis, if you don't already know, this is not a fairy tale. This is about real witches. Grandmama loves to tell all about witches. Real witches are the most dangerous of all living creatures on Earth. There's nothing they hate so much as children, and they work all kinds of terrifying spells to get rid of them. Her grandson listens closely to Grandmama's stories, but nothing can prepare him for the day he comes face-to-face -face with the Grand High Witch herself. Uh, okay. What you got? Uh, there's a review. It's not a, well, a high review, uh, but it says, don't listen in the car. Huh. Very interesting. Well, there you go. There's your warning. Don't listen to it in the car, everyone. Yeah. Don't Have the don't, lights on. Don't listen to it in a parked car. Don't listen to it if you are the passenger in a car and you have it on headphones. You have heard the warning. Under no circumstances should this recording and a car come anywhere near each other. Okay. 
Moving on. Moving on. Who's our second sponsor? Uh, our challenger today is something that is absolutely not safe for work. So once we tell you about this, please don't say, oh, yeah, I bet my 12-year-old could listen to this. I mean, we really, are... your 12-year-old should be listening to us in the first place. You know, I, I like to think that we talk for a multitudinous audience, but we are definitely not talking to just 12-year-olds. So I think we can – we, we're about to earn the explicit tag. Uh, we are going to be talking about Ninja Sex Party's new CD, The Prophecy. Uh, if you've never heard of Ninja Sex Party, uh, I don't know if there's a better way than how we found out, which was to have them be the mid-credit disc jockeys at a burlesque at a convention. But that was how we found out. We thought they were just some colorful characters they made up for the show. No, they are, they are two people who make music together. And actually, it's a whole band. Oh, yeah, it's a whole band. Yeah, yeah it's whole... like, uh, I want to say s- between five and seven. Uh, Ninja's X Party has been making albums for a really long time, actually. When I went to their Wikipedia to look at their discography, uh, they have been making stuff since back in 2011. And they have a combination of both cover songs. Uh, side note, Dan Evidan is a beautiful singer. And you yes. can listen to any of his covers and enjoy them. Uh, but the other half of their uh, albums are original songs. And when we found out about a couple of them after seeing them at this burlesque, we're like, okay, these are fun. There are some wonderful animated versions of them up on YouTube from the band. Really greatly done. Uh, and there's a lot of songs we could recommend. But we're going to talk about their newest album, which is, again, called The Prophecy. We just pre-ordered it. It just came in the mail, signed by both uh, Ninja Brian and uh, Danny Sexbang. And I, I think you know by now if you'd be interested in doing it, but so few comedy albums produce both funny songs and good music. There's a lot of funny songs that are just unlistenable after the first time and the novelty wears off. Just no interesting. Um, the song I'd like to recommend from it that you would want to listen to first to see if you would like this album is Wondering Tonight, which is a wonderful power ballad about who your ex is boning while <laughs> you are sitting alone at home. Uh, and da- it's very good. And Danny, don't you know, uh, is kind of my jam right now because it's like, again, an 80s power ballad, but very inspirational on a um uh on a kind of a personal level uh because it you know it goes into a comedic effects and stuff like that but it's really a love letter to all the geeks and everybody who uh um you know who weren't really friends with anyone in in school or got made fun of or you know didn't get dates or anything like that weird and no one understood them and now they're rock stars, and they're not afraid to cry. And <laughs> D-A-N-N-Y, he is not afraid to cry. And there are so many bands that I like that I just can't, su- that I can't support financially because there are no tours, and they aren't touring anymore, and they aren't alive anymore, and I'm a rock child of the 60s. So if you <laughs> want to support a band that is still making really great music and really great content and talk about how his balls are named Thunder and Lightning, then we recommend the newest... Or if you want to release the Kraken. We recommend Ninja Sex Party, especially... Or you want some pizza? Their newest album, The Prophecy. Uh, and if you've heard of Danny 
that name sounds familiar, it's because he is one half of Game Grumps uh, alongside of Aaron. Um, it's spelled A-R-I-N. Everyone wonders why I now don't care as much about my name getting misspelled because there's a thousand freaking ways to spell the name. But uh, they are the YouTube series Game Grumps where they do a bunch of other things, but they also, you know, play games together. So once you see a picture of Danny Sexbane and Ninja Brian, I want you to imagine that. But Aaron dressed up as Ninja Brian and me dressed up as Danny Sexbane. And you will know what our convention costumes are for when 2021 comes around and this freaking year oh. ends. We are celebrating with spandex and face coverings. Yeah. <laughs> I'll actually be wearing a You'll mask. be very safe as Ninja Ryan. <laughs> very, very safe. So, um, But, yes, those are our two sponsors, so check those out. Uh, help us out and, um, you know, get some great music to listen to. Um, moving back to uh, the subject at hand, uh, did you know that Roald Dahl hated, this, uh, hated the 1990 adaptation? All authors hate their adaptations. He actually said that he was appalled at the vulgarity, the bad taste, and actual terror in parts of the film jim henson had to calm him down when this was also that was also the last film that jim henson personally oversaw too interesting yeah i um do you think you'd be happy with this one <laughs> no i i don't think he would um he had a lot of problems so it's either too dark in the case of the witches in the 1990s um or too lighthearted and not what his vision was in the case of um charlie and the, or willy wonka in the chocolate factory um there's no pleasing him <laughs> it's very hard to please anyone it's and an author especially i feel like it's such a strange medium because the author knows exactly what's going on in their book they know and can picture it perfectly in their minds and it's their job to write about it in a way that other people see it but if they don't get to exert some sort of creative control over the product, it is unlikely that anyone would see that and view it exactly as they did. Because no two people's viewpoints are the same. Unless you're uh, someone like uh, Snow Queen's Ice Dragon, who's allowed to practically own Fifty Shades of Grey's the movie. Uh, or J.K. <laughs> Rowling, who had extreme creative content, honestly, as far as the movies went. Uh, then I think you're pretty much just doomed to not like what people make of it. And I will say that, honestly, we could we could talk about differences between adaptation and book and story, but the the worst thing to me about this newest movie, and if you're not interested in this, it probably won't bother you, was the editing. This was so poorly edited that I didn't know what they were going for half the time ponderously long long takes that had no meaning within the story a long yeah. take is meant to build unease or perhaps suspense or you know it's it's like Shyamalan doing long takes in the sixth sense they don't mean anything it just is something impressive that he can do look at me well I mean that's great but what does it mean for the story what is the visual language being asserted here things like having an opening narration which I Spice. I can't stand opening narration. I'm not for it anymore. Uh, things like the framing device coming back at the end, and then the credits rolling, and then it coming back again, and then Robert Zemeckis' name gets shown three times. Then go back one more time. It, these were not mid-credit scenes. These were the endings of this movie that weren't allowed to be at the end of the movie. They just cut, went to three slides of credits, then said, "Wait, wait, wait! We forgot to tell you this." 
went back to show the actual ending of the film, showed Robert Zemeckis' name one more time in the middle of that narration, and then shows old Chris Rockmouse, and now we're into the credits. And I'm like, what are we even doing here? When he said, wait, 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 it's not over yet. You don't, you know, It was the Titanic me. animated movie. <laughs> Thank you. Watching it reminded me of the animated wait, Titanic wait, wait, the movie. the story's not over don't yet. Don't you want to know what happened? I'm like, yes, you should have done that back at the end of the movie. Should have done that. But why? why? And why are, again, we could compare forever. But the, the dark <laughs> thing about the book was that at the end, he stays a mouse. And he inquires of his grandma how long does she think he's going to be around. Because he's a mouse now. He's a boy in a mouse's body. He's probably not going to live forever. And he has this bittersweet moment of, you know what? I'm glad that I get to have the last few years with you. Because we're both going to die soon. And again, it's dark, but it's poetic. It's poetic. It's almost kind of a pretentious poetic. Like, oh, you don't get the meaning behind my poems. Kind of like in that same vein. It makes you feel pretentious. It's dark without any reason to be dark. To me, it smacks of eight-year-old logic. Like, oh, okay, good. That means we're going to live the same amount of life. And that means I won't have to get pawned off on some person who doesn't know who I am or have to live as a boy in a mouse's body and pretending I'm not something forever. Yeah, I I still... It does raise the question of mouse puberty and how this small child becomes Chris Rock in a matter of mm, six months, if I had to guess. It wasn't six months. It was a couple of years. They actually showed you the progression of the years in that. But it, it's still... Mm, mm. It's unnecessarily dark like like i know that's what happened in the movie and or in the book and i know it even it's very similar but that's not a good way to explain that like i get that they're they're trying to show that like oh the grandmother's gonna die soon and the you know the kid's gonna or the the hero mouse is gonna die soon as well but not everything has to be rosy, well, it's like, happy like, ending, but it's, I it's like... Want, I wouldn't want to live forever if I didn't have you. Like, I, no, immortality is worthless because I'd be all alone. Yeah, I, I get that. That's not what I'm saying. It's not immortality. It's that this child is already saying, oh, I'm, I'm ready to die. Okay, this yeah. This child, it, he, whether he's a mouse or a human, this child has said he's ready to die. He doesn't care when he dies. Why? Th- th- why <laughs> is this okay? It's not. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's dark. It's, it's very dark. And it's unnecessarily dark. I'm not saying you have to have this mouse. You know, there, it doesn't have to be this big grand happy ending like you have in the 1990 movie. But this is this is much further in the other way. Like, like. You know, th- th- that doesn't make one, it go better, just least, going the opposite direction. At least in this one, he has his little mouse friends. Yes, which we don't see in the flash forward, by the yeah, way. Where are, yeah, where are these other mice children now? Yeah. Okay, so... And do they try to, like, keep their species going with oh, mating? Oh, God. Okay, so that's not okay, but the kid talking about death and him dying, is it's perfectly fine. Yeah, baby, I'm Catholic. So it's, <laughs> there's just something... <laughs> <laughs> I broke him. Oh, oh, oh! 
the irony is so palpable. Oh my god, stop the podcast. That wait, oh, that might be the funniest fucking thing you've ever said. Oh my god. So oh, oh okay. Let's uh I think we're I think we're close enough to a, a good ending for that with that loud ass laughing cough. Who did that? Could have been Show anyone <laughs> in this two person so, podcast. My my question that I will posterize for us um is what is one change from the nineteen ninety version to the two two twenty version sorry, twenty twenty version that you liked and one that you didn't like? Hmm. You know, it doesn't really go anywhere, but I like the idea that there are other magic users in the world that are not witches. Witching is not a profession. It's a creature. It's a species. You are born a witch, and you disguise yourself as a woman to pass through society. See, whenever she was telling that story, that flashback story, I thought she was going to say that her friend was actually turn into a witch and um and actually we we see her trying to um like the woman with the snake is actually her friend from forever ago i think that would have changed the overall vibe of the story and why it's weird that it got banned it's it's not misogynistic it's that these literal demons yeah they aren't like making packs with satan under the full moon that's how they get their powers they're just they're just the witches have witches. done a de- deal or done a deal with the devil. Yeah, exactly. So the one change I liked, even though it didn't go anywhere really, was that there were other magic practice users, and that they used this idea of voodoo and casting the bones and being a medicine woman. I like the idea of Octavia Spencer's character as a woman who knows about witches because she has studied witches because she is a magic user and a healer. I like the idea of that vibe that there's other kinds of magic in the world okay what's what's one of the changes that you didn't like um or the one that you like the least yeah honestly it's that the his pet mouse pet mice honestly he had two um that his pet mouse was actually a human girl there's just connotations that she was his pet and that it kind of gets the same effect when you introduce a brand new character because you're trying to diversify it because it was just about a white boy. But then <laughs> but then you give all the clever solving stuff to this third girl character. It's kind of like how they made Hermione more and more amazing by taking everything away from Ron and giving it to her, which made Ron feel like a useless character to a lot of people by the end of the movies. <laughs> Hashtag shots fired for whoever knows who she's talking about. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I mean, Hermione was a great character. Ron was a dick in the books at times, but he still sure. did things. In the movies, he's a lot more useless. Um, but we didn't even talk about how the main character goes from this, like, quiet, unassuming child to, like, this mastermind planner plotter who... Just one, just one shot of him working in a sketchbook on... Or one things thing, or engineering like, things. Exactly. Because there's a whole like roller coaster thing at the end, and it's like, who the hell built this? This child is three different children. He is the child who lost his parents, 
really convincingly for the first yes. 20 minutes Holy is just shit. sadness. That could you could have stopped after one like one or two scenes and that would have been like this excellent short story. Take out the Chris Rock narration and just have like don't even don't even have the narration in that scene where he like realizes he's in a car oh, upside yeah. down. Just show it. Just show it. Mm-hmm. Let the audience interpret as they would. So you have a great beginning with this boy character, and then he becomes this guy who like throws up like hand signs at the hotel to like make friends with other children, and is training his mice in the hotel. Hand signs? He just waved at them. It was a different. It was a very modern wave, if I may speak. It wasn't. Again, I, I, this isn't like oh weird slang. It's just it looked modern, and it's. Be- and it's just because I they try to make him look a little different than the other kids at the hotel. Just like, oh, he's, again, an outsider. Keep pushing that narrative. So he's a totally other kid, like, making deductive reasoning underneath the stage as the Grand High Witch is talking about her plan. And then, as a mouse, he's an entirely different character, which is exactly what I felt happened with Princess and the Frog. Like, the voice acting changed somehow between human and animal. And I, I, I know you you brought that up when we were kind of discussing this um, the other day. I disagree that she was a different character Sorry. from human to, to frog. There was a difference in how she delivered lines that made her feel like a different person. Her motivations and goals were still the same, but she also felt like she was putting more energy into it. Like maybe as an animal, she was allowed to have more freedom because she's in the voice box, but this character being a live action she, i mean it was again it was, it was all, a voiceover again, so this so so this one felt a lot stronger to me this kid who had to act in person yeah. and then got to go into a booth and just really deliver his lines with a lot of energy and snap so yeah like i i, I agree with it for the for this movie um, not so much with Princess and the Frog but i see what you're saying like how her delivery is a little differently but that could be on purpose however um I I do agree for this one because it is almost like almost two different actors, but it's the same one. So, um, what were some things that you liked that they changed, and things that you didn't like? Um, strangely enough, I liked that there wasn't a good witch or the witch that like they treated badly, and then you know that that felt very forced, you know, square peg and round hole kind of thing. Um, you know, I like that. The witches were bad. As weird as that sounds, like that inclusion, and then that's how, you know, Luke or the hero kid gets turned back uh, at the end of the movie. It felt very tacked on. It felt very like, oh, we have to have a happy ending. We have to have a happy ending. Which it was, I mean, the test audiences didn't like the sad ending. It's like, okay, we'll film another one for you. Exactly. So it was was very tacked on. Um, I felt like the witches... Even though the Good Witch and Angelica Houston had a personality, in this one they don't have a personality. Visually, they look really cool. They have distinctive looks and themes and everything like that. But, yeah, I didn't... I know the scene you're talking about. So they're all in the big ballroom, and the Grand High Witch is telling them about the mouse maker. And one of the witches stands up in the back and says, But, madame, how are we going to buy these candy stores with what money and she zaps her electricity at no point is there ever a close-up shot on the witch that is speaking to indicate who she was before she gets zapped into a million pieces it's all wide shots and i'm like yeah did you not have another camera on stage that you could just like get a little bit closer to see her and it's really funny because i i i'm almost 
100% sure that some of these women, these actresses that they used were actually bald. So they didn't, you know, didn't even have to use makeup. Whereas in the 1990 version where they had close-ups and these, you know, extreme angles, some of these witches were men. Yep. 100% men. Yep, men in drag. So, like, I don't understand why they would choose to not. I know, like, oh, you don't want to pull focus from, you know, the main character or the main witch, you know, Anne Hathaway, but... It just makes them faceless. Like, I yeah. wish that the witch that they encountered in the grocery store was a second-in-command or someone... Something, yeah. Something. She, I mean, she was there, but that's it. Yeah. She was there. She even, like... Talk to the kids like I remember you. Boy, that was, was weird as shit. It was weird. It was it was weird because like in the 1990 version, the woman that comes to try to steal Luke away, she's creepy. Oh yeah. Like they do the weird effect eye effect thing for all the witches and everything like that. She pulls a snake out of her bag. Like yeah. here, have a snake. Please have a. Have a chocolate bar. <laughs> and I did like that there, the the Swiss chocolate bars were a reference to that original chocolate bar in um, the, the 1990 version. Um, one change I didn't like. <sighs> hmm. Maybe that's it. Maybe like that. It, it, the, the witches didn't like I liked that they didn't include the good witch that instead they kind of changed to Octavia Spencer. So I did like that. I think, but that then none of the other witches really had a personality. You know, the redhead Sorsha, she kind of had a little bit of personality, but even like the witch that they encounter in the grocery store doesn't really have a personality besides the weird extended vowels. Was it interesting to have this whole thing about race relations being overcoded through that and then to have just a well-to-do black witch that no one ever bats an eye at i th see that's the thing like i don't know what to make of that it seems see, mixed yeah because like get out toes the line between a horror movie and a civil rights movie or a uh race relations movie extremely well but it, it was handled in a way that i think they were like we want to talk about race and what happens with race but in a horror setting so taking this uh, this story that they already have and putting it in, under a different lens. Whereas with this one, it was more, we want to tell the story and then kind of sprinkle race relations on top. It wasn't handled the most effectively. I completely agree on that. Um, it's like they, they were like, oh, we want to sprinkle it on top and then forgot that it was there. You know? It's like, there. It's there, but they're not doing anything with it. It's like... The sprinkle like race relations on with the witches. Artemis Fowl is actually a jock on the movie. It and and the Charlie, what's his face from uh, Wrinkle in Time, is this weird kid. <laughs> it's like they sprinkle this on there and then just kind of forget about it. Or like love is the answer for everything. <laughs> Does seem to be the way. It's just it's a. It was it was it wasn't an afterthought, but it wasn't a forethought either like again that beginning scene you could honestly take that and have it be the short i remember there was a short story that i read in um <clears throat> middle school where this boy tries to steal a woman's purse um and they were they were both black it was in harlem but it was in like the 1950s 1960s 
Harlem. And the boy, like, tries to grab the purse and run. And, like, the woman's grip and strength is so strong that he, like, slips and falls and busts his ass open. And she goes, what are you doing? God, I hope that, you know what, that was a terrible voice. What are you doing? Uh, nothing, ma'am. Don't you lie to me. And she actually says, use a lie. And I always love that line. Use I don't, a lie. I just, I just love that line. Use Me, a lie. That and, needs to be in a song. Yeah. Uh, and she like, like grabs him by the back of the neck and forces him inside. And like, uh, she's like, "What are you? Why? Why are you trying to steal my purse?" And he's like, "I, I need new shoes. I'm sorry. I, I just need new shoes." And so she gives him, um, you know, she like feeds him and gives him money to go get new shoes. He ends up leaving the money. Uh, and like, cause he was so touched by the woman and everything like that. And it's just, it's a, it's a really short story. And I, they did end up uh, adapting it to, you know, to video. Um, and it was well done. I liked the story a little bit more cause it, it was a little bit more about feelings versus the, the visuals of it. Um, but the, the relationship between Octavia Spencer and, uh, the main character kind of reminded me of that. And I don't mean that in a race really, or in a racial sense, but the way Octavia Spencer is kind of a no-nonsense, as described by the movie, a woman who would give you a hug when you need it and is spanking when you deserved it. So I thought that would like I thought that was a really good way to kind of show the character. And Octavia Spencer really portrayed it very well. So that kind of reminded me of that short story from forever ago. So I think we can all agree that Octavia Spencer should just be in more things. Absolutely. Um, you know, she was fantastic in Shape of Water, The Help, and then now here. So, uh, yes, hashtag Octavia Spencer and everything. <laughs> you know, I'm going to look something up. You uh, start wrapping up. Oh, okay. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening as I vamp while Aaron looks things up. Um, Actually, this might be the perfect opportunity to uh, tell you a joke that I heard. Tell me this joke, and then I'm going to blow your mind. No, go ahead and blow my mind. The, the uh, joke wasn't that good. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was just stalling. <laughs> uh, Octavia Spencer was the manicure and Onward. Yes, we knew that. Yeah. I forgot. Th- I knew it was uh, a specific actress, but I forgot that it was Octavia Spencer. So tell me the joke. We'll end on oh, the it's, joke. It's really not that good. We'll end on the joke. Do it. Okay. Um, Can you hear everyone say, do it? <laughs> well, I stole it from someone else, so forgive me for butchering it. Um, so you've heard that there's this mummy tomb that they just unearthed over in Egypt. The mummy tomb's been closed for like, they just opened it up like for 2,000 years. It was like wrapped in this ornate uh, gold. Um, it, was, it was really beautiful, and it hadn't been opened in 2,000 years. Yeah, they, uh, they think that it belongs to Pharaoh Rocher. I didn't see it coming, but I saw it coming. <laughs> um, I've I've got one for you, and as we're going to be releasing this on on Friday the thirtieth, uh, this is this will be very topical. Uh, what did Yoda say whenever he saw himself in four K? What did he say? HDMI. <laughs> That's good. And on that note, she's been Elizabeth. He's been Aaron, and, and we're, we're married, married to, to the, the idea. idea.